launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. Just too big, too strong, and too good in the end. Hello and welcome to the Cats Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cussworth as the Cats come off a disappointing Easter Monday clash with Hawthorne. Hawthorne winning 14-8-92, Geelong 11-14-80 and I'm sure that our panel of Mark Brunger, Mark Browning and Anthony Petkovic will have plenty to say and I know that Joel Selwood was quite outspoken after the game and perhaps using language that we're not accustomed to hearing on the radio and certainly we won't be using it. In describing the Cats' beginning and also the Cats' conclusion to the contest, Mark Brunger, it was enormously disappointing just the way that the Cats allowed Hawthorne to get away to that bright beginning. Absolutely, Wes. Uh, good evening to you. Good evening to our fellow, fellow panellists and to all of our listeners. Uh, yeah, extremely disappointing start to the game by Geelong and also a very disappointing finish, as Joel Selwood suggested. It was a little crummy at both ends. Let's go with that for the for the word that Joel used. Um, Hawthorne absolutely flew out of the gates, and I was actually wondering whether Geelong might have actually been late showing up to the game because they had three goals on the board and Geelong hadn't even had a touch of the pill, uh, which was a bit of a worry. Uh, I thought the second and third quarters were really good and, and thought there was a lot of promise at the start of the last quarter. But once again, it was some of the same old suspects who went missing when the pressure was on and just uh, it seems to be a same old problem. And uh, once again, the Cats just caught short and, and left making excuses as to why uh, we didn't win the game. Well, Mark Browning, I know you were particularly disappointed with that fourth quarter lack of intensity that saw Geelong score just four behinds and Hawthorne overrun them with 4-4. Four, four. Wes, uh, what was also particularly disappointing is that I'd watched this and killed a Hawthorne game the previous week and I can announce that this is not one of the great Hawthorne sides. Um, five to ten years ago, this was one of the fixtures of the season and you can't you can no longer say that with the two sides that we saw on Monday. What's disappointing for Geelong supporters is that they, against an ordinary Hawthorne side, they had the ascendancy, a lot of it led by Joel Selwood and other experienced players, and then when they faded, the next rung of players was not able to stand up. I talk about guys that have played 60 games or more, maybe even 100 games, and they're still running around and been carried too harsh, but certainly not able to step up and take the game by the scruff of the neck. Mark O'Connor, 67 games. Brian Myers, 63 games. Tom Atkins, 62 games. Um, Brad Close, 35. He got a little bit of credit still, but was disappointing. Brandon Parfitt, 100 games. Good player at times, but on this occasion, again, missing. Colin Jasny and Buse in the back line. Both have played over 100 games, and yet it's 
they've got to get out of the way for Tom Stewart. So I that to me was the biggest disappointment. And Anthony, also there remains the Luke Dalhouse question, which uh, at one stage you referred to in our correspondences since Monday. Well, it's, it, it's the question is answered. Geelong are just not listening. Luke's finished. I, I love him to death. Um, a few years ago, he was one of the most influential players in the competition. He was a, um, a Bulldogs premiership player and he was integral to that success. But in the last three seasons, his output has diminished. His arms and legs are pumping, but he's going nowhere. Just like Geelong were in the last 20 minutes on Monday. But you're both right, gentlemen. That was a very ordinary Hawthorne team. But I noticed a number. there were a number of... 50-50 contests early in the piece where Hawthorne just went harder and lower and they were rewarded with free kicks. Uh, there was a lot of high contact from Geelong players which indicated that they were consistently second to the ball and that's a mental thing. Geelong, Geelong are a better team than Hawthorne. Those two teams could match up again this weekend and Geelong could win by 10 goals. Um, it's a mental thing. They went into the game looking and feeling and thinking that it was the result was decided. It got to that stage where they had to do a lot of work in the middle part of the game to catch up. And I just think in the end, the heart was willing, but Geelong's legs weren't pumping. They weren't going anywhere. There was no run. There was no dash. There was certainly no dare. And uh, they had nothing left to give. Um, and, uh, one, one of our uh, great friends and, and former member of the, the Cats Whiskers team in, in uh, in uh, Gus Marini, uh, also in our chat over the weekend, indicated that, that he thought that, um, you know, uh, Geelong really need to find themselves a, a number one ruckman, that the Roos Stanley probably still isn't the answer for Geelong uh, and still can offer something to Geelong in, an, in another position maybe, but uh, Gus indicated that he thought uh, something that, that I've been thinking for a while and that is that, that Geelong really need to get serious about trying to attract someone like a Sean Darcy to Geelong to give us a really strong ruck option because at the moment it's it's a bit wishy-washy and one week you get champion, the next week you get hardly competitive. Mark, I want to uh, ensure that our Sport FM listeners continue to listen to us and if you go taking Sean Darcy away from Frio, then I dare say we're going to get a few people offside. However, I like him as a solution. Yeah, it's a great, it's a good solution. It's easier said than done. Look, I don't think the um, you just go around pinching everyone's players. It's, it's it leads to disaster in the end. And we have pinched a number of ruckmen from other clubs. Hamish McIntosh, uh, Zach Smith, Reece Stanley himself. It's not like we haven't tried. The problem is finding the key ingredient to, to Reese's mindset because I think he gets comfortable very easily. He seems to play better against the higher profile Ruckman than he does against the, uh, the not so high profile Ruckman. He's been taken to town by a number of fairly average players in the last few seasons, but he seems to stack up all right against a, a Grundy or a Gorn and some of the other leading Ruckman. It's simply a mental mindset. He, Reece Stanley should have dominated that game on Monday, given that Hawthorne, from fairly early in the game, did not have an actual ruckman competing. And uh, he just was completely out of sorts. And that's not physical. It's mental. So Reece Stanley should have been best on ground on Monday 
and he wasn't, wasn't by a long way. He was right at the other end of the scale, which has been typical of his career. The gap between his best and his worst is as wide as the Indian Ocean. I think the last decent ruckman we actually pinched off another club was uh, uh, Brad Otten. So I don't think we've pinched a, a good one since then. We're, well, we pinched Polly Farmer as well, remember? So uh, Geelong, Geelong, Geelong used to know how to find a ruckman. Um, but, yeah, Geelong desperately need. It's probably the, the missing link. Um, and it would also um, account for the fact that uh, Hawthorne did dominate us around the stoppages at key parts of the game, particularly early and especially late. Um, and uh, a really good ruckman would, would assist with that. Again, I thought that Geelong's use of the ball inside 50 was poor. Uh, 11 goals, 14 is an identical score to the week before. That's kind of uh, ironic that one week it's enough to win and the next week it's, it creates a loss. I thought, uh, you know, again, I don't want to pick on one guy in particular, but as a prime example, Graham Myers got a lot of the ball on the outside and his delivery further down the ground was very ordinary and his decision-making very ordinary. So uh, there's there's a problem there. Uh, 10 of Geelong's 11 goals were scored by veterans, Hawkins and Dangerfield, and by players that were recruited from other clubs, Cameron and Stengel. Dangerfield actually from another club too, isn't he? So uh, Holmes is the only Geelong product player of any youth that was... Uh, contributed a goal. So that's also um, an issue, I think. But guys, did uh, Geelong make a mistake then if Reece Stanley's a bit hard to fathom where he's going to be in any particular week on letting Darcy Fort go? Well, in the end, I suppose that was a decision for Darcy to make. Um, Geelong were a little bit uh, trapped in that sort of situation. But, but I, I thought it was a mistake. I thought it was wrong to swap a ruckman entering his prime, uh, basically to elicit a pick for Jonathan Segler, who is at the other end of his career and unfortunately is injured. So we'll, we won't know for some time whether he's capable of, of, of filling that gap. But it also means with, with Reece Stanley, you have to use Mark Blixav's out of defence. And I think that weakens our defence and weakens our support for Tom Stewart, who is the central pillar of Geelong's uh, defence now. And Hawthorne found a way in that last quarter to negate Stewart um, and it put a lot of pressure on the Geelong defence. But in terms of Geelong scoring, um, Geelong took 18 marks inside its forward 50. Now to, to only walk away with 11 goals from 18 marks, which is close to world record standard, um, that is dismal. I know a number of those were fairly shallow and wide, but that's where Hawthorne forced our players to lead for the ball. Um, Hawkins and Cameron had very little difficulty marking it. Um, it was just that they were too deep, um, too shallow, I should say, and too wide to, to really make it count. And it was that next kick that Geelong were lacking. It was the next delivery from that um, shallow, wide position to somewhere front and central. That was the missing link on Monday. I just want to go back to the uh, Luke Delhouse uh, discussion from, from earlier and and really, I think I think it's time now that that Luke has a spell, and 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 I actually think that that it's time that that Geelong give Oliver Dempsey a chance. I've seen this kid play in a couple of VFL games already in the last few weeks, and let me tell you, this kid can play football. 
He is a real goer. He's got the blonde bleach blonde hair. He runs up and down the ground really, really quickly. He's a great tackler. He's really enthusiastic. And most importantly, he knows where the goals are. That certainly helps. But what the Geelong, if I'm reading Geelong correctly, what they will do is they will simply swap Sean Higgins for Luke Dalhouse. It's in their DNA. They can't help themselves. Um, and that's like, you know, there's no difference. It's like swapping COVID for um, smallpox, isn't it, really? Yep. Coke for Pepsi. No difference. So, Lance, I must ask you the question about about, uh, the Tom Hawkins staging situation. Did we think much about that? Is it just something that Tom needs to get out of his game and and, uh, move forward more proactively and just win free kicks on his merits? The only two people who will know the truth to that situation as to how heavily the hands were involved in that are Tom and his Hawthorne opponent. Um, All the umpire saw was that the hands were in the back. He doesn't understand what the force is, so he just calls it as he sees it, and it's a free kick. So, you know, if Tom maybe sort of juiced it up a little bit, well, then so be it. But only him and his opponent's going to know how hard that push was. Well, I think it was part of Tom Tom Hawkins's preparation for the next Commonwealth Games. I believe he's going to be in the diving team. Um, he certainly was a very spectacular entry there, and uh, and good luck to Tom on his uh, next career pathway. I think it's a bit rich that uh, the Hawthorne six of Hawthorne's first nine goals were from free kicks. Correct. But the one that got the publicity was one that was was there, but. Hawkins made the most of it, uh, but that's the one that was talked about. Uh, I just I, most of Hawthorne's goals from free kicks were there, but there were a couple that you could make a de- uh, debate about as well. It were 50 50 calls, and of course, that was juiced up by the fact that the umpire then awarded a 50 metre penalty just to rub salt into the wounds. And I think that's a, why it was such a, a critical uh, decision at the time. Which, of course, raises the issue of dissent. We don't want any of you gentlemen dissenting with the umpires and uh, calling any of their question, any of their decisions into question, but well, where's this rule taking us, um, given the fact that uh, Brad Scott has suggested that all of the dissent decisions were correct over the weekend, but about another half dozen went without having been paid, which was, in fact, umpire error. Look, I think uh, Mark Robinson and Jared Waitley made a very good point on Wednesday's edition of um, AFL 360, and that was that the big mistake that the AFL has made here is that they haven't brought the public along for the ride. They've been talking about this behind closed doors with the clubs and saying this is what it's going to be, this is what we're going to do, but they haven't told poor old Joe Public who slings out his money to go and stand in the outer or to watch it on the TV at home what's going on here. Now, I more than anyone don't want to see any umpires, you know, um, questioned or anything like that on the field. I don't I don't believe it's it's proper. They are the officials and, and they've never changed their mind, so it's never likely to happen. However, I, I just also think that, we're in danger of taking all the personality out of our game. So if a, if a player is demonstrative towards an umpire, well, then I think that there's an issue. Or if they say something that's inappropriate, well, then, yeah, okay, give them a 50 metre and teach them a lesson. But if they put their arms out as if to say, well, you know, what was that for? Is that really the look we want in our game? 
really? Is it, is it, is it what we want people who may be watching the game for the first time to look at and go, what in God's name is that about? I think it's got to the stage too with 50-metre penalties that you get you get 50-metre penalty now for some sneezing within a 20-metre diameter of the guy that's got the ball. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a massive penalty that influences a game and sometimes it's it's just for such a small misdemeanor. Now, is it is it ten meters now from the player with mm. the ball that you're supposed to stay away from? Where's who's got the tape measure? Because you know these these things are not exact, and mm. I can't see how anybody when it was five meters, maybe you could give the player with the ball a dirty look and they'd spot your funny face. But at ten meters away. And those of us who've played football, I wouldn't even be aware of someone who's 10 metres away, and yet it's a 50-metre penalty. So the, this thing about dissent, what, the other thing that is with it is, what is the definition of dissent? And, Mark, you've touched on that. And you're right. It's, you've got the crowd have got no idea what it, what it means. What did um, which Hawthorne, the Hawthorne defender, Sicily, was it? Mm. Um, yeah, who... He looked at the score. He looked at the replay of the free kick or something and put his arm out. That was 50 metres. As far as we know, he didn't say anything. So I disagree with Brad Scott. I mean, Wes, you're an ex-umpire uh, and probably a, at a time where you might have had to wear earplugs. Has it, has it, is it going too far? And I don't think that's going to cause any more players to, to be recruited, any more people to be recruited. Well, that's an old philosophy of mine that ex-players should be actively pursued as umpires as well. But um, where's what, what are your thoughts on these changes? Because you were an umpire. Yeah, I, I, do, I do like the fact that the football system is actually making strides towards eradicating the treat, poor treatment of umpires, but I think this might be a bit of overreach when at the elite level just simply sticking your arms out is going to warrant a 50-metre penalty. I just think that might be a little bit too much. And I think as for the inconsistencies that we constantly talk about, week in, week out, we're always talking. Everyone's always talking about the inconsistencies. What you need to understand too is that the umpires are copper drilling during the course of a week after a week's weekend's round of matches, and there's very often a knee-jerk reaction to an emphasis that's placed on a particular decision that maybe has drifted a little bit from the umpire's notice, and then when that's drawn to the umpire as a, umpire's body group uh, as a whole, then often there's this sort of knee-jerk reaction, which sometimes has just a, a negative sort of ramification, which is a bit, a bit sad and a bit disappointing. But um, let's continue to move on because there's a few other things that I really want to ask you guys about, and one of them is just before we do that, where's uh, Mr. Pekovic has been sitting there very, very quietly, and we haven't heard from him yet, and I'm dying to know what his thoughts are. Oh, I, I think we've summed it up fairly well. We this was a victim of rule of the week. Um, it was something that was was penalised in round one. It disappeared for several weeks, and then all of a sudden re-emerged in round five. And that's where the problem lies. I think um, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it all the time. Um, you can't chop and change one week. It's okay to put your arms up. Oh, I, I think. Um, Mark Brunger is correct that when a player is demonstrative and mouths off an umpires, I think that's a, a 50 metre penalty. But just putting your arms up, like what the hell was that about? 
Um, uh, I, I can't see why that's an issue, but um, if they're going to go with it, publicise it and do it all the time, and then the players will catch the drift. Well, I must say that I am uh, unashamedly a fan of Ken Hinckley's as both a person and as a football player in the past and a football coach, but clearly things are just not right at Port Adelaide. Is it Ken Hinckley's fault? Probably not. Is it going to cost Ken Hinckley his job? Probably it will. How long has he got left at Port Adelaide? I think he's got uh, – he could so easily have – be two and three and no one will be saying anything. Uh, they could easily have beaten Carlton, ran all over them in the last second half and um, lost against the Crows on the last kick of the day. So he, he's a bit unlucky in that respect. He's still got a good list to work from. I think he's got a few more weeks to turn it around, but he'd need to. They'd need to start to put some wins on the board, otherwise he'll go. The, the The thing that people need to keep in mind with with Port Adelaide is that they are missing um, a few of their their better players. I mean, of course, Charlie Dixon's not in that team, who gives them a lot of. Uh, he straightens them up an awful lot uh, when he plays in that team. So there are a few injuries around, and I know you can only go with with what you've got, but. You know, when it comes to to assessing a coach's fortune, you, you've got to take into account what cattle he has on the park because you can try as hard as you like, but if your cattle isn't enough, then sometimes you're not going to win the game and, and you know, Port Adelaide have some cattle problems. I think they also have some problems with that next tier of, of players uh, who are sitting a, a bit like what we said earlier for Geelong, that those players around the 50 to 80 game mark who are in that second tier in that club haven't really stepped up and 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 performed uh, to expectations over the last couple of years and haven't exactly come on. Um, so I, I think from that perspective, that, you know, there's, there's still a few pluses for Port Adelaide, but unfortunately it's a win-loss record game and, and I think that, unfortunately, I think Ken might um, might be parting company before the end of the year. Well, I think it would be a good idea. The two, Geelong and Port Adelaide, I've said this before, should get together, get in a room with Chris Scott and Ken Hinckley and do what we used to do in the old days. Swap. We used to swap players mid-season. Let's swap coaches. Hinkley to Geelong to revitalise the Cats. Scott to Port Adelaide to harden them up. Solution, problem solved. What do you what do you say though, Anthony? Because I've I've said to a couple of people already this week that that coaching twenty twenty three looks like a fairly interesting sort of um, you know situation because I think we all expect Leon Cameron and and GWS to part part ways by the end of this year. And, you know, I wouldn't mind someone like Leon coaching Geelong next year either. I'd like Ken Hinckley to coach Geelong. That would be really, really nice. Um, but but there could be some really, really good options. And, and you know, who knows? Alistair Clarkson might decide it's time to come back again. So let's not rush to conclusions yet, Anthony. No, look, every, every so often in, in league football, there is a coaching cull, mass migration, mass movement, swapping of the witches' hats. Uh, it feels like, uh, given that we've got a, a number of coaches who've been long-serving coaches at their club, that we're just hitting a hitting a particular patch of the game where there's going to be a mass migration. 
All right. Well, as we've discussed, obviously, it was a pretty tight game between Geelong and Hawthorne on Easter Monday, and, and that's been pretty typical across the course of the last decade or so. There have been some very entertaining games between the two sides. The case is a little different when it comes to what they fought for for a very long time, and that is Good Friday football, and it's been nothing of the kind in terms of good quality Good Friday football because we've just seen lopsided games almost constantly. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, 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 I've got no issues with with these two clubs playing on Good Friday. You know, North Melbourne put an awful lot of work into it and trying to get it up and. You know, we, we see all the bigger, powerful clubs getting these marquee games and, and, and keeping them. And, you know, if you're going to be fair dinkum about having a, an even spread across the competition, then the, the lesser clubs need to have a marquee game as well. And, and you know, let's let's not forget that, you know, there's been times when, you know, when Essendon and Collingwood haven't exactly been uh, at their best uh, and have played some pretty average Anzac Day games in the past. Uh, but they they still keep it every year, so I, I don't have any problems with with either of those teams playing on Good Friday. Neither do I. The the early Good Friday clashes between the Romans and the Jews were very lopsided, also remember, and um, but that that evened itself out over the years. The problem is that poor old North Melbourne have uh, fallen off the cliff, as they say. And they're still rebuilding. Uh, We talked about coach movement, how much credit has David Noble got because he's not a big name, he's not a high profile, nor is his club at the minute. But if North Melbourne had a good side and so did the Bulldogs and it was a top eight clash, then there'd be, and it was a close game, then there'd be a lot more interest. It's just one of those things that North Melbourne's timing has not been good in relation to this fixture in terms of where their list's at. Well, I must say, my poor old mum, she is at times a pessimist and this is where she would probably come in if she was part of our podcast team and suggest that North Melbourne are just as likely to prove us all wrong and bounce back and defeat Geelong this Sunday at 1.10 at Blundstone Arena. Let's hope it's not the case. How does the cat? How do the cats go about ensuring this is not the case? Oh, gentlemen, I, I, I cast my mind back to this corresponding fixture last year when Geelong played... North Melbourne in Hobart, and it was possibly one of the worst games of football I've watched in quite some time. Geelong were terrible. North Melbourne were even more terrible and almost actually nearly beat us last year. It was just a, the, one of the least memorable games of the season. Um, I am certainly hoping, and, and with all due love and respect to our North Melbourne fans, I am hoping that Geelong absolutely belts the suitcase out of North Melbourne because we need our percentage-boosting win, and we need it quickly. So let's hope that that Geelong can actually do what Joel Joel Selwood said uh, after after Monday's game and actually get fair dinkum and play four quarters of good premiership football and come away with a big win. But let's hope. (laughs) I think the weather is going to be, it seems strange, but the weather's going to be a factor. If it's a nice, calm, autumn uh, afternoon, then Geelong, I think, should have too much strength and skill for North Melbourne. If you get a gale blowing down the Derwent or off the Derwent or, uh, and squally showers blowing across and it's a bit more of a, an all-in raffle, then who knows? Geelong got the names, but 
we just can't really pick their form just yet. What will be a big worry is if they happen to drop this game, they've got the emerging Fremantle next week. Um, they could be below 50% um, in two rounds and that would be a real worry. Yeah, complacency will be the key on um, on Sunday. About that mindset, um, might be a good time to introduce some of these young players they're talking about. We've talked about Dempsey. Geelong keep talking about Cooper Stevens. When are we actually going to see the boy play? Um, they keep talking him up as one of their young guns. He's playing very good football in the VFL, but we just won't press the trigger. Um, and Geelong got to sort out what's, what's wrong with a couple of their players. Uh, Jack Henry struggling after a stellar year last year. Cam Guthrie is struggling big time. He can't find the ball at all. Patrick Dangerfield just doesn't look like Patrick Dangerfield at all. There's no explosiveness in his play whatsoever, and he's terribly fumbly. You've got the Reese Stanley conundrum. Um, and how best to use Mark Blixavs? Oh, I'm not sure that... Uh, that uh, Geelong have got a handle on that yet. I think he is needed in defence. The defence looks a little bit shaky uh, when he's not playing there. So there's questions for Geelong to answer. Um, it's a challenge for Chris Scott, uh, and he's he's got to come up with some answers pretty soon. Anthony, all I'll say is if North Melbourne uh, beat Geelong on Sunday, I'll be around at your place Sunday night. We'll drive to Tullamarine. We'll meet the plane at the airport. We will get Chris Scott, we will put him in the car and we'll drive over to South Australia ourselves with him to have a chat with Port Adelaide and see if we can bring Ken Hinckley back. Well, has Chris Scott actually signed that contract yet? Because um, it's it's a bit like Marlon Brando, you know, it's, it's the, I'll make you an offer that you can't refuse. Uh, well, just the final thought before we uh, wrap up our program today, for the benefit of our Sport FM listeners in Perth, Anthony, tell us why. The West Coast Eagles will keep Port Adelaide winless uh, because the West Coast Eagles, as we know, are in they're on fairly shaky ground themselves right at the moment. But they are venturing over to the Adelaide Oval for a four thirty five start. Oh look, um, Port Adelaide have got a big opportunity here. West Coast, you don't know what you're going to get, and there's there's someone I think playing as Tim Kelly. That's not Tim Kelly, surely. What have they done to him over there? They, is there a doppelganger? As one of his relatives slipped, snipped in, I, I, what has West Coast done to Tim Kelly? That's what I want to know. And uh, Mark Browning, you made mention of the uh, informed Frio Dockers. And just a final thought from you. They're up against your mates, your best mates team. We hear about your best mate from Mount Gambia that's a mighty Blues supporter, but uh, the Blues have got a mighty task on their hand when they venture up to stadium. Yeah, the Blues are, are a bit lucky, aren't they? That's two games, two wins they've had where they've just fallen over the line um, by a couple of points with the other team running all over them. So yeah, this is their biggest test. And it's and Fremantle, yeah, they're the quiet achievers of the season so far. I think, I think Fremantle are probably going to be the surprise pack of the season and finish top four. I don't think Carlton are top four. They might be top eight. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm tipping the, the purple and whites to actually knock over the navy blue and whites in this one. And just to finish with, Mark Brunger, all eyes around Australia, f- the football following public will be watching Essendon and Collingwood. Who's going to win this one at the MCG at 320? Well, 
I think it'll depend on whether uh, Ben Rutten brings footballers with him or whether he brings witches hats. I think it'll have a fair degree of uh, determination on how this game turns out. I think Collingwood, even though Collingwood have lost their last three, I still think that they are a better football side at the moment than what uh, Essendon are. Essendon uh, got absolutely scathingly attacked by one of their former former players in uh, Brendan Goddard who suggested that they might be looking a little bit soft. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back, but I think Pies fans ultimately at 5 o'clock on, or 6 o'clock on uh, Monday will be extremely happy and I think that they'll probably take it out. Thanks for your contribution to the Cats Whiskers, Mark Brunger. Anthony Petkovic and Mark Browning. We trust you, our listeners, have enjoyed this week's podcast and we look forward to bringing you more again next week.